0: let me top you up my love who i haven't seen thank two you weeks. babe guys
1: it's new year's eve we appreciate you're probably all in the midst of dry january right now but it's 31st we're drinking champers
0: guys we have never done a dry january have we babe cheers to me on that cheers
1: to both of us
0: because life is too short <laughs> it is a bit too short the thing is i like a
1: i like a sensible dran. Dry? <laughs> I like a semi-dry. I like a damp Jan.
0: A little a moist. Like I don't want to be
1: getting smashed. No. Definitely not. But the odd couple here and there.
0: But also let's be real. We are entering the new year hungover. Unless you're not going out on New Year's Eve.
1: Yeah that I really do hate that though. I know that but it's one of my inevitable. anxieties about tomorrow. I know same. Starting the year on a bad foot. That's how you know you're well and truly old. You're concerned. I am really concerned but how else
0: do we get around it? So, Kathers, we won't go into our Christmases because it's been and gone. It's been, Too, been and gone. We're yeah. ready. We're in 2024. We're ready and raring for a new year. Do you have a particular goal for this year you would like to share with well, me? Well, obsessingly, I went and looked at my diary to look at my New Year's resolutions for last year. Oh, no. Don't tell me. I didn't, didn't achieve any I, of them. No, I achieved none of them.
1: <laughs> I actually had that recently. I found some goals <laughs> that I wrote up two years ago, and I was, some of them were, like, really not big deal like minor journalism goals and I was like how have I still not done that in two years that's terrible yeah
0: mine were like have a coffee with like five people I admire wrote all the names oh I mean that is quite a hard one to actually didn't reach out to any of them you never even thought about it again once you've written it down probably no and then it was like oh just other things I hadn't done I did achieve one from two years ago which is drink more water every day nice and I do drink two bottles of water a day Brilliant. Actually, I do feel like you were someone that was on the dehydrated
1: side. Quite I was often. never watering. You weren't like a big water drinker, so that is an achievement. Because so well, my done.
0: dad would always say to me, "If you drink enough tea, that's fine." Yeah, <laughs> that's it, so English. Isn't it? Yeah.
1: Um, no, I don't think it is but quite the same as water. Caffeine.
0: Um, I what about you?
1: Don't know what my biggest goal is this year. I have a really, really annoying, boring one that everyone's going to want to like punch before. Oh, yeah. oh God. Just... Obviously, I want to be like really fit and healthy this year, mm. like everyone in January. Yes. Because. I just do, you know. Well, 2024, the year to get into great I mean, I think shape. I'm fab
0: shape already, but
1: kind. Yeah, also, this is looking
0: very stunning in a beautiful dress, dress right yeah. now
1: because we are going straight out from here. Well, we're at Ellie's house, so you are going to change into your sheer trousers so, later.
0: I have my biggest dilemma of the last four days. Is the fact that I have ordered a pair of completely sheer but with sequined embroidery trousers from Hyatt Street which is my friend's high street rental business. Very good if you care about the planet. And they're like a pair of £500 trousers that I could rent for £22 for 10 days. So good. Right. So good. And you don't even have to, like. you can still get the, and then if you don't like them, you can get the rental credit back. Really? Yeah. Oh my God, that's a really good note. Because I thought that was
1: part of the whole like fashion hiring. I have to say, this is actually really shameful. I need to get a grip as a 30 something year old woman in the UK, but I have never hired a piece of clothing.
0: Mm. Well, I tried her out. You're My- really good with it, yeah. Well, her is really expensive because you have to pay for
1: postage. Oh, that's it. Because that's what worries yeah. me. I'm like, what if you spend like 80 quid on a something, on a dress, and then it doesn't look nice. Yeah, and yeah. You spend like eight pounds on something that you can't wear and need to just send back to the person. Well,
0: her is really difficult because you do get rental credit back, but it's not all of it, and you still have to pay for postage there and back. Amazing. Because I think part of me would otherwise have wanted to get a new outfit. A new outfit, Yeah. And this is so much cheaper. Right, guys, welcome back.
1: Let's get on with the show, shall we? We We
0: always forget to say who we are.
1: We are Straight Up Podcast, hosted by our journalist Kathleen and Ellie. If you've been with us for a while now, you will know that we are the pop culture podcast covering all things fame, celeb, TV, film,
0: book, you name it. We are covering it. my god that was a good intro well done babe (laughs) five minutes into the episode (laughs) yeah we have realized over the last few months that we always forget to say who the podcast is and who we are unless we start with like a and welcome back guys so we're trying something new
1: we hope you've noticed (laughs) hello (laughs) today
0: we are gonna jump right in with a film recommendation from you, Els. Well, it's been difficult, Kathis, hasn't it, to find culture recommendations for this it episode has. because of
1: the Christmas dearth across. Christmas culture. dearth. Christmas is a time for reruns, for Harry Potter movies. Mrs. Brown's
0: Boys. Oh God, I
1: must say that is just a step too far. <laughs> Sorry, I've never seen that, <laughs> yes.
0: by the way. But... <laughs> uh... but yes, I know what you, we know the drill. So I watched Doctor Who. Give it to me. Because I love Shuti Gatwa and I thought he'd be brilliant. And? and if you don't know him, he was in Sex Education and he's the first black doctor. Incredible. Yeah. Um, he was in Barbie. He was in Barbie. Um, he's Scottish and he's wonderful. Such a good actor. And he, as a doctor, as the doctor is great. Like it's really fun. You, The opens with him like dancing and like a tartan kilt. I think that's what he was wearing. That would make sense because he is Scottish in a club. Like he's very like, he's giving youthful vibes he's like leaning into being like the hot young doctor okay cute but the episode itself i thought i was watching a piece of amdram television it was about these goblins that come and like create mischief in the real world and steal babies to eat on their goblin ship and feed to the goblin king And I was like, what is, I'm watching singing, dancing goblins with lipstick and wigs on with like shooty Gatwa trying to be like, no. I was like, "This is ridiculous." No, that sounds like it's giving Spy Kids. It's giving Spy Kids. It was also giving papier mâché. I yeah. was like, "I could have made <laughs> the Goblin King better on an episode of Art Attack." Like it with was like with a balloon under <laughs> yeah. papier mâché for the head. Here's one I made earlier. Uh, so I was in shock, and in fact, all my family refused to watch it with me because it was I, so bad. Oh my god! Why you had to be the nerdy TV critic on your own? Yes. Did you watch Doctor Who when you were younger? And it was all very,
1: it was all very scary. I, I loved that. <gasps> my did brothers did. My dad and my brothers like loved. I loved it, but no. I'm not gonna lie, Doctor Who has never been for me. Did
0: you never get, have your brother saying to you, Are you my mommy? Do you remember that quote? No. Oh okay. again,
1: I I kind of kept kept Doctor Who kept at a arms wide. Land. Yes. Breakfast. I was always do you know what? I think because it had its renaissance when I was exactly at that age when I was like so teenage girly that I just like wanted to find it lame. So right. I was like, why want, would I watch maybe that? That, about Daleks? You that know, that and one then and then a half kind of years carried between through. us. Yeah. It was crucial. Exactly. I think so. So, yeah, my brothers really liked it, but I did
0: not. So, I mean, the fandom around Doctor Who gives me the ick. The nerdy boys being obsessed with it. But. It's really
1: funny. It's huge. So, I have a random fun fact. Oh, yeah. One of Marlon's best family friends is married to David Tennant. <gasps> and her dad was also a doctor. And that's how she met David Tennant. So, oh, a medical doctor. No, as in he was. He's called Peter Davidson. He was a former Doctor Who. So her father is a Doctor Who, and now she's married to a former Doctor Who. Sorry, How wild is that? Please. She's That's called Georgia wild. Tennant. The the real family friend is actually Peter Wait, Davidson's Georgia wife. Georgia Tennant. Yes. You know, we actually interviewed her in the Telegraph. Did you? Yeah, we did. We did the whole family. So her stepmom and dad are very good family friends of Marlon's because Marlon's mom went to drama school with Liz, who's Peter Davidson's wife slash Georgia Tennant's like stepmom.
0: We interviewed David and Georgia together. Yes, I think they have like a parenting podcast or something. Yes.
1: They've got like five kids or something. I think quite a lot of children.
0: That is fascinating. Now, we've talked about this before, but we need to exploit that connection and get him on the podcast.
1: I know. Well, I I do want to try, but I'm also scared. I went to like a Christmas Eve party at their house once and he was there and it was when he was in, I, I want to say it was Macbeth or something. So he had this like long plait and I was too afraid to say hello.
0: I saw him last year with Georgia. Is she blonde? Yes. Yeah. I saw them together at Old Street Station. Going into prep We're Very low key Well it's definitely a huge To go back to the
1: actual Doctor Who thing Like such a huge fandom As yes. you said Because I know that Peter Davidson Even to this day Gets paid to go on like Special Doctor Who cruises To like do an appearance Oh my
0: god and He's still milking it even now celebs on cruises i keep hearing about this people being hired to give like lectures or talks oh, really or things on cruises also i think that through the podcast we should review a millennial cruise people keep doing do you know it. what i really don't want to go on a cruise i have this I weird do get thing where, for.
1: however if anyone is listening i would absolutely take a free five <laughs> star
0: a two night five star
1: cruise if we could do it but i have been watching a lot of everything i ate in a day on a cruise videos on tiktok they're really big i don't know why oh, well, random oh, because People there's like like five cruises. Restaurants. yeah and it's all like all you can eat and yeah they kind of show like everything
0: i'm sure we talked about it on <laughs> air see. but um triangle of sadness has put me off eating on a boat oh god yes you did the yeah the
1: vomit yes the yes. vomit scene guys if you didn't listen to that episode i can't remember exactly which one it is but do go and watch the trial of sadness try oh my god i can't got- watch triangle of sadness because yes. it is a brilliant
0: film. It's so good, so good. I reckon that was one of my faves of the past year. Actually, yeah. it was a 2023 brilliant. highlight. Yeah, so funny, a proper a black comedy. Um, talking of celebrities, Cathars, I want to regale you with a funny story from Pop Bitch. Always, which I still find mental that like most people have never heard of.
1: I know. Hopefully, our listeners do. Subscribe. Guys, go to Pop Bitch. It's like the snide, anonymous celeb gossip newsletter. Yes,
0: read Pop Bitch. It's um, and it's free. It is. Okay, so it's a really funny story um, about Elton John. So this is a story. Back when Michael Parkinson was working in Australia, there was a point where Elton John was on tour over there too. Ever the lavish host, Elton invited Parky and his wife to join him out on a yacht for a little party he was throwing. Unfortunately, Parky and Mary arrived at the jetty a little too late, just in time to catch HMS Elton sailing off towards the horizon. A couple of obliging water cops recognised Parky, however, so offered the couple a quick ride out to the vessel. Cute. A few minutes later, they were aboard. But far from being happy to see them, Parky was greeted by a furious Elton. It turned out that the rest of the party had mistaken Parky's lift for a police bust and had lobbed all their gear overboard. Oh my god, that is so is thousands of dollars worth of narcotics are lost to the waters, ruining the party for everyone. And the Parkinsons were pariahs for the rest of the night. Oh, the Parkinsons. That's
1: I found quite that sweet. very funny. The idea of that literally all funny. these celebs throwing their coke, that. yeah, yeah. And overboard, especially also. The funny kind of classic celeb sobriety story. Because you're like, oh, Elton, you mean the famous sober person who absolutely does not touch any drugs.
0: So yes, the first film recommendation is called May, December. Kathleen, I think you would love it. Give me more. Actually, I don't know that, but I think you'd find it interesting. (laughs) You might. So May, December stars Natalie Portman, who plays a big film star who is shadowing a local celebrity who she set to play in a big new film. So Natalie Portman's character, the film star, is playing a woman who was incarcerated for having sex with her 12-year-old student while she was 37. 37. Oh, is and it? It's not a real story. Is it a true story? Is it's it based, based in... inspired right. by a real life story? So it's a really fascinating film where there's like no judgment. It's by Todd Haynes, who did Carol. Did you ever see that? No, it was really good. So. Um, but it's inspired by this case with a teacher called Mary Kay Letenor. In 1997, she pleaded guilty to second degree rape of a child, her student who was 12. Oh my god! But as soon as she got out of prison. The guy, she, the, well, the kid then grown up wanted to see her and they got married and like stayed together for years. So it's this hey. really weird gray area of like the student that she raped wanted once he was adult, to have a consensual relationship with her Interesting. after she came out of prison. And that is what the film is showing as well. Is so, it based in the US? Yeah, so Julianne Moore is this kind of like pariah in her local community but is still with this young guy who has chosen to stay with her so they're together so it's kind
1: of looking back on their origin story as a couple but you meet them as a married couple
0: yes you meet them as a married couple interesting and so natalie portman's character is like trying to find out as much detail as possible about julianne Moore's character and why she did it and how she felt oh my god i mean there's an interesting film i suppose Yes.
1: But I keep saying interesting. Sorry, that's such an anodyne word, but yeah, yeah. Like what a thought-provoking film.
0: It is because it's a really obviously there's no grey area in terms of sleeping with a 12-year-old when you're in your mid 30s. Yeah. That's a crime. But and it's grooming. But but then, but, yeah, it's really difficult. How can you then say once that child has a consenting adult relationship with that person, God, that is incredibly complicated, like, isn't it? Are you like you're still being groomed
1: and you don't realize it? I have to say it's one of those storylines that I guess is confronting as women, because if you heard a story like that, that was about a man and a young 12 year old girl, like a male teacher, you would instantly have a very specific idea of what's actually gone down there. Like I feel, I mean, I'm speaking generally here, but I know I would think, oh, well clearly he's like a paedophile and he groomed her and all the rest of it. Whereas for some reason when it's switched, you feel way more empathetic to the perpetrator of the crime.
0: I think it's because you assume with with men, it's a physical primal urge. And then you assume with women, that it's a mental emotional connection connection. it's mind-boggling but then she talks about well i don't mean butters and this justifies it i just mean in terms of context she talks about how the boy was like wise beyond his years mature beyond his years and then the guy, when she when uh, natalie portman's character does this kind of these little interviews with both of them separately to try and get more like understanding of the character she's about to play and the 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 guy who was uh who was groomed. It's like, no, it was all me. I'm the one that I'm the one that initiated like, everything. Interesting. It all came from me. It's kind of reminding me of that book. What was it called? I want to say was it Notes, Notes on, on a scandal, scandal. yes. Yeah. It's that.
1: It's a similar kind of story, isn't it's it? It's a similar
0: story. But um what's also really interesting is the the true case that's inspired by the the guy stayed with her for many years and in fact when letanor died of cancer when she was fifty eight, Vil Falau, which is the guy she married the student um it's like stayed with her during her death he was at her bedside when she died she had two of his children before he was 15 whoa yeah but this is and i think this is what actually the film portrays really well even though there's no judgment from the director there is a sense, you get the sense that her husband, the guy that was abused is like stuck in an infantile state. Like the actors purposely played him to be quite infantile the way he speaks. Interesting. And so, and I'm not gonna, so no spoilers, but there is a development in the film. But also what's really interesting is, I think for anyone that's watched like All About Eve or just loves the sense of uh, watching female rivalry, Natalie Portman's character infiltrating Julianne Moore's character's life and playing her there is huge friction between the two women oh.
1: and there becomes a
0: bit of a sexual triangle there. Oh my God.
1: Is that actually based in real life as well? Like is no. the Natalie
0: Portman character
1: no. completely made up Yeah, that's complete- as a
0: framework within which yes. to look at the story? Yes. But that's quite interesting. Yeah. Watching that, and also watching like the celebrity narcissism of Natalie Portman's character, thinking she can just barge into this real person's life, unearth all of her trauma, for her own gain to make this character exciting for her. Like you see the sense of, which I think a lot of celebrity, a lot of actors do, of like getting off and thriving off someone else's fucked up story that they can just inhabit for like this tiny period of time and then waltz off again and leave it all behind. So it's quite an interesting look at fame,
1: actually. Sounds definitely like a bit of us.
0: And- um, Love the sound of that, where can I watch it? So you can watch it on Now TV. Oh, okay, nice. Uh, so if you can get a little seven-day free trial, it's I recommend. It's think
1: of Macron, the Emmanuel, uh, Emmanuel Macron, you know, the French president. Yes. his wife was his <gasps> teacher. Brigitte, of yeah. course. And they met when he was 15, no? Yes. And actually, they're like wildly in love and have got like this long-standing said- decades-long marriage, which, again, I'm not using that as a kind of reference point that mm. excuses paedophilia, to be very clear. Yeah. Absolutely not doing that. But I guess maybe what the film is interrogating is while obviously protecting children's safety has to be number one things are more complicated than just like numbers on a page and i don't know it's weird isn't it? exactly. it's like like you said it's hinting at like a sort of gray area or like uh, it, even the fact that it approaches it with no judgment is in itself a statement
0: well yeah weirdly i've also in the reviews people have said that it's actually quite camp and quite funny
1: So people aren't offended by it because I know we touched on this film in the past and then we didn't talk about it on air, but the Jennifer Lawrence film about her being hired. No hard feelings. Yes. People hated that film and thought it felt extremely inappropriate in terms of like her being the older character. And I know quite a few viewers found that if the genders had been switched there, it would be like a highly inappropriate film. And they thought that Jennifer Lawrence kind of grooming this young kid was like, disgusting
0: but I didn't get that from that film when I watched that film I took it to be about helicopter parenting I also just do think that obviously there are exceptions but historically men always have much more physical power and there is a lot the imbalance that always comes into it. towards yeah so I think with when when it's switched and women have that power you don't necessarily associate that with exploitation it's really difficult because we've obviously only ever
1: been teenage girls not boys If you know what i mean so like i've only ever had the experience that i've had and i would say you know if you look at a book like oh what's it like three women yes that has the sorry guys if this is spoiler if you haven't read it well it did come out years ago now so you've had had enough time yeah one of the women looked back on an experience with a teacher that in fact she now recognizes as sexual grooming, but at the mm. time she thought was a relationship. I mean, I guess that's why as women we have empathy because while you think you're super confident when you're a teenager, and I remember you know, at 16 or something, I would have been, like, thrilled if some, like, older, hot teacher wanted to have an affair with me, which obviously they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> like, I definitely would have taken up that opportunity if it was in front of me, I think. Mm-hmm. I think. Anyway. Absolutely yeah. same. Whereas now you realise that you were a child. Exactly that. Exactly that. And actually, you realise how immature you really are Absolutely at that age. So, I mean, at my school, I mean, can I even say this? I don't know. I'm going to say it anyway. Fuck it. Uh, there was a female teacher who had slept with students, but, like, six-form students. So, like, boys that were, like, 17, 18 years old. How old was the teacher? She was probably in her 30s when I look back on it. That's weird. And so weird, isn't it? But like, there's no way that any of those men went into it or boys, uh, you know, they knew what they were doing. They wanted to, like it was one of the boys in our year group who had that experience was like gassed to come and tell us all as like a kind of like oh my god it was like the most exciting gossip we'd ever heard and he was literally 18 years old so there wasn't that power dynamic in terms of like Mm. a literal minor but I still always thought like what a fucking creep that you do that like every year.
0: I mean it's really weird as well because yeah we have this 18 is when it's legal but still if one of my friends. Is it 18 or is it 16? Because I thought just generally in the UK the age of consent is 16. So yes I think the caveat is that if the adult is in a position of trust responsibility, it's illegal to have sex with someone under eighteen. So Got a teacher couldn't have sex with a sixteen-year-old. They could get done for that. I also don't think they could have sex with a sh- a student, as in even if the student was eighteen and if they were teaching, if they were at the same school, they also that would also be illegal. I mean, I
1: think even now and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but university lecturers and students is still massively found on. Like it's not illegal. Yes, or that, it's that happened like, knows when I was at Oxford.
0: Did it? Yeah. Oh my
1: god, I feel like that's so like glamorous at Oxford. But can also, you give me some intel? well,
0: also at my school. In London, I know three girls under age who had sex with, with really? teachers at the school, and it was a massive deal. <gasps> Did it all come out? No, but all the at, students knew. Yeah, but not the parents. Yeah, and it <gasps> has never come out. And I never come out. No, and I was, was the teacher. Like what age was they he? Were, was it, I think they were probably late twenties. I mean, they were hot, but they were completely. It was completely wrong. And that's like girls under the age of sixteen. And I think some of them had sex at school. <gasps>
1: yeah is actually wild but there's always these things that happen i mean maybe i've just had like such a prudish vanilla life but these kind of stories you're always like wow they're totally things that happen to other people
0: yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, no, that is no totally teacher not has ever a scenario that I would have been but in but my point on the eight is that yes 18 is the legal age that to, doesn't mean it's like ethical and right but still if someone like if one of my male friends who's now 30 was having sex with an 18 year old i would think he was a complete wrong-un. We would, but
1: I find this debate very difficult because I think now, like in this day and age, quite rightly, we have clearer understanding of power dynamics, of how, you know, abuse can happen, of like inequality in a relationship. However, there are so many couples from over the years that have big age gaps that are very happily in love and have, you know, decades-long marriages and whatever else. So that, I agree, like, I do definitely don't love the idea of male friends of mine going out with 18-year-old girls. I think, to go back to what we said before, we know 18-year-old girls, and I know Um, that they're not actually mature enough to be going out with a 30-year-old man, really. Exactly that. We know
0: exactly that's what it is. Yeah, but
1: you know, these things do just happen. And there are big age gaps in some really successful relationships. And I think even, I know them in my own personal life, whether it's family members or whatever, have like 12 plus year age gaps, or whether it's like, you know, you see those videos on TikTok, they'll be like us then versus us now, or talking about their age gap. And whenever I go in the comments, they'll be like, yes, okay, a 15 year age gap is a lot, but I met my husband when we were this and this, and we're now 65. And, you know, I do feel like there's so much personal testimony from actual, like, people that have had the lived experience of getting together with someone that has like a 10 year plus age gap either way. And it's not as negative as we perceive it when we haven't been in that scenario.
0: Yes, I totally agree. I think as well, there might be some sense of like resentment as someone who, well, from personal experience as someone who is very fixated on aging and like be, having a sell-by date as a woman and yeah. women of my age group now wanting to date the generation below I can or see two why generations triggering. below, yeah. it's triggering. For people in terms of thinking about their own age. Yeah. But that's it, really more about yeah. you than them. It's more yeah. about me, well, yes. And I also think there's this like, weird paradoxical thing that when we were teenagers, men wanted to just like det- look at porn with MILFs yes. and like 50-year-olds. And I was all about Stifler's mum or whatever. And then we actually get to the like actual real woman's age yeah and now they want to date teenagers again no i know exactly what you mean and then it's like when is our window so god damn it exactly. Yes, i know exactly and what I say you're saying this, for that you know in the comfort of being in a relationship so so god knows it's like you're I'm either too young single. or too old when are you ever the right yes, age when are we ripe
1: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I actually <laughs> said right right ripe, right
0: kind of loving that um also it's on a that tricky one no did you ever read um my Dark vanessa
1: no i didn't You've I have got really to read it i remember my friend at work said but i she kind of gave me the lowdown on the sorry this is really unhelpful people haven't it's an abuse tale
0: yes so it's what we were saying before of like it's kind of told through the perspective of this student who falls in love with her teacher and it feels very consensual and that like it's almost entirely initiated by her and she's obsessed with him but of course things aren't that simple and also and this is completely not excusing all the stuff that we've been talking about before of paedophilia but how, is there not also power dynamic between someone who's, say, 25 and 45? Like, I think there are power dynamics in every age Throughout gap. life. Well, that's what that book, yeah. A Very Nice Girl by Imogen Crimp, which
1: I recommended probably two months ago or something now, was all about. Yeah. Because the female character is in her early 20s and the male character is in his late 30s. And they're in such different places in their lives because of that difference. Like she's just starting out, she's at university, she's gigging to make money, whereas he's like a wealthy divorced banker. And that makes their lives feel like
0: chasms apart. Interesting. I guess the difference is then is because personal experience can vary so wildly and therefore in terms of maturity can really affect everyone in such different ways. The only way that you can have a universal way of measuring it therefore is to like break, like cerebral development which happens to everyone between the ages of like 16 to 18.
1: Yeah and actually one of the main issues I guess with male female inequality and I'm gonna touch on this another time because i definitely want to go into this really interesting stuff that this professor scott galloway talks about which is all about male female inequality and the kind of crisis among young men if you would like and he actually argues that one of the issues is that women do cognitively develop earlier than men so an 18 year old girl's brain is like 18 years old if you know what i mean whereas a boy's is only 16 so that's also why there's a gap in terms of how many women are getting into like university and college versus men
0: it's so interesting because then also i think a lot of the issue with grooming is naivety right but i think you can have a really really say naive 30 year old because say if i if i was if i if that thirty-year-old has never had any sexual or romantic experiences and has lived a very sheltered life, as many do, if you've read Eleanor Oliphant it's Completely Fine, for various reasons, I do like that book. So, like Get a little shout out there. If naivety is something that makes someone susceptible to grooming, that can happen at any age. You could be very sheltered and naive at thirty. But I guess at thirty, like you really are, like a big girl in your big
1: pants, and you can deal with it yourself. I guess that's like the cultural societal narrative we have not saying that's right or wrong but you know there does seem to be this like cut off between where like society needs to have your back and be like making sure that you're not being Mm. taken advantage of I mean I say that like it literally doesn't clearly so many people say it through the cracks and people are or if someone has a learning
0: difficulty or like a disability that they can be taken advantage of at any age it's a very complicated topic isn't it i think that's it there aren't
1: any i think that's the point there aren't any hard and fast answers and they all are literally uh scenario dependent and that's quite difficult because obviously we want hard and fast especially when it comes to the exploitation of children like we have to as a society be responsible for our young people and we have to look after them mm. we have to make sure that they're safeguarded
0: but then i find it really interesting this is getting really into murky waters but like in vi- victorian times because women's life expectancy was much shorter and you would often like give birth in like your mid teens you'd get yeah, married yeah, yeah. in your mid teens but i do find it therefore interesting where obviously in the Victorian era you wouldn't necessarily think that someone was being groomed or in the grips of a paedophile if they got married at 15 well no but it was a whole different like paedophilia was understood in a completely
1: different way than a case in point like alice in wonderland like in hindsight he had a weird relationship with that family he was like weirdly obsessed with alice who was a child obviously there's the whole history of victorian photography that naked children were a big part of like the beauty of art. i'm Mm. using air quotes here so children were photographed naked for like the adult's enjoyment all the time in like a non-sexual way did that come
0: from like cherubs yes exactly Yeah. yeah exactly that Victorians were fucking weird They'd also they believe, photograph they really themselves as dead people Like exactly. if your no, relatives died You'd get
1: a selfie And yet like They were so prudish That you had to cover Table legs <laughs> <laughs> They were <laughs> some strange people So on the topic of age gap Yes I want to talk to you About my new TikTok obsession Or Darling, my most go on. recent one A little which bit is, more oh, yeah, Hang on Let me drink some The orange juice okay. Actually sorry
0: Kathleen We're, has we're a... doing back fizz But I'm a bit over The orange juice now Are you? Yeah let's not have Any more orange juice Well so Kathleen Has a complex about Being topped up When she has a full glass I do well, I just Because then it would have Been really weak Orange juice wouldn't it So thank you Very lovely We're going to be so drunk by 8 p.m So, right, we got
1: this hun because we're, after- we're going to the pub we're going to the pub, pub with our the boys so i want to talk to you about my latest TikTok obsession which is nara smith wow. wife yes. of lucky bluesmith so
0: do you know who lucky bluesmith is um is he a musician
1: he actually does have a band with yeah. his sisters yes yeah, so you're not a million miles off but he's primarily known as a male model yes he's probably the most recognizable Let male model get in the world visual. He made his modeling debut when he was only 12. He was ph- photographed of a Vogue home Japan by Hedy Slimane. Yes, really recognizable. Yes, place. you would recognize him in a heartbeat. Blonde hair, piercing blue eyes. He's giving hot Draco. Yes, I do know exactly what you mean Gosh, by that. lovely looking man. Yes And his wife Nara Smith mm-hmm. Has become Something of a TikTok sensation Over the last Let Couple Let me get of a visual years. Of Nara She's also a model Stunning I mean they're like The most ridiculously Good looking couple That you've ever seen So it's not exactly A surprise Oh my god she's hot them. But she's actually A real TikToker Like she posts Like every day They have been Making headlines recently Because Of their Absurd children's names So they've <gasps> recently Announced that they're Expecting their third So nara did a whole video on names they love but ones they're not picking for reference their children who they already have who are like three and sort of you know 15 months are uh, rumble honey and slim easy people feel a way about that yeah. sorry who,
0: which is the girl sorry the but- girl is rumble
1: honey which i saw in a video nara like break down the reference and it's like a winnie the pooh reference to do with his like rumble tummy needing honey like
0: really weird like i was like so strange to can you imagine me being like and Shrek Podcast is presented by me, Eleanor Halls, and Rumble Tummy Johnson. <laughs> Rumble Tummy Johnson. That's not acceptable. And Slim Easy, people had, were really funny about because they were like
1: easy. As, and I think, I guess, like Slim Easy, it's got that kind of American, I don't know, people found it absurd. She did a very funny video the other day about like baby names that we'd like, but we're not choosing for their third baby. Shall I play it to you or shall yeah, I, yeah. I just tell you them? Put, I'll, put, put the, the, yeah, play, I'll, I'll put it on the, the mic. mic.
0: These are some baby names that are on my list that I won't be using. For reference, our kids have pretty unique names. My daughter's name is Rumble Honey Smith, and my son's name is Slim Easy Smith. So these might be a little out there. But let's get started. For girl's name, I really love the name Odie, Pepper, Dawn. They're all really cute to me. I really like Cherry as a middle name. My husband doesn't really like that name. I also like Bubble as a second name. No. That might be controversial. And I love the name Pear as a first name. And then for boys, I love the name Frosty still. No. Um, What else was there? Sunny, Silver, Zen. Those are a few, but we won't be using them for
1: this baby. These. some I'm quite excited to see what this baby will be called. Zen. Pear. Pear. Pear Bubble. Imagine if your name was Pear Bubble, Smith. That's what they're going for.
0: I have to say, out of all the names she just listed, Rumble Tummy is still the worst. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's rumble honey Sorry. because Winnie the
1: Pooh talks about his rumbling tummy needing yes. honey. Sorry. So it's like still basically
0: rumble tummy. <laughs> yeah, rumble tummy <laughs> would be even worse. Sorry, Rumble's honey is still the worst.
1: It's a bit odd, isn't it? So their age has been quite a kind of controversial topic in line with what we've just been discussing with May, December because there's an age gap between... Lucky Blue and Nara okay. not huge at all she's 22 and he's 25 but they got together when she was 19 and they got married pretty soon after and people were like mm, is she a literal child and people now kind of feel that she may or may not have been I don't want to say brainwashed because that's a very strong term, but just to give you a little bit of context, Lucky Blue Smith is actually a devout Mormon. He's from a Mormon family that was uh, raised, they were raised in Spanish Fork in Utah, and then they moved to LA to pursue modeling for all of the kids. Lucky Blue Smith's mother, Sheridan, is actually also a model, and all three of his sisters are also signed with Modeling Agency Next. I think you probably would have seen the sister before. She's called Piper America Smith.
0: Oh, you would probably recognize her.
1: But anyway, Nara converted to mormonism when she married lucky and she since built this kind of trad wife image on tiktok where every day she'll do a video that's here's what i cooked my husband today she's now even had to do a disclaimer at the start because i think people were like what the hell is this why have you gone from being like a cool fashion model is traveling the world she's german by the way i don't know if i said that before to like mom life with like a third kid on the way at 22 and we'll be posting these videos, as I say, of like, what I made my husband to eat And today. what is she making her husband to eat? It's like full on, obviously, start, uh, breakfast, lunch, dinner, gorgeous meals. Looks See, like she's kind of- spending it's
0: toxic, but I am watching all of those. Oh my God, I, I love them. them. But
1: she's now had to put a disclaimer that's like, <gasps> he doesn't expect me to do this. No one expects me to do it. I do it because food's my love language and I want to. So she's
0: obviously had quite a lot of kickback, but people were funny about their age. Casas, we have many pet peeves that unite us, but I must say one of the most notable has got to be our misophonia, which as we've recently discovered is the term used to describe a negative emotional reaction to common sounds. Oh my god, babe, nothing enrages us quite like the sound of
1: someone (laughs) troughing (laughs) at their desk or tapping away violently on their keyboard. For me, as someone that struggles with ADHD, distracting sounds are honestly such an issue when I'm trying to work, I
0: actually can't cope. Of course, which is why we're such big fans of the tiny, comfy and super unobtrusive Karma earbuds from our brilliant podcast sponsor, Flare Audio. Katha's, how do they work? Take it away. Well, huns, our ears are shaped like shells. So the sound we receive is always distorted
1: at about 20%. Most people's brains filter that out. But if, like me and Els, yours needs a little
0: bit of a helping hand, then the Karma earbuds are just perfect. Such an upgrade, I have to say, from my noise-counseling headphones, which are very antisocial when you're in the office and a colleague's trying to talk to you and block you off from sounds you actually really need to hear. Don't just take our word for it either, guys. They've sold two million pairs since the launch of Knockdown, and they even do mini versions for kids and a new version called Karma Soft which is an extra soft option for those with more sensitive ears. So go to flairaudio.com to
1: snap up your Karma earbuds. Thank you so much to Flair. But he'd had a weird dynamic previously in that he actually had a child prior to that relationship from a with a former girlfriend Stormy Bree who was a model who was a former Miss. Why are so many models what? called Stormy? I, uh, well, are they? Stormy Daniels? Oh. Sorry, I
0: can actually think of one yes. other. Example. I'm thinking
1: of Stormy Webster, Kylie Jenner's daughter.
0: Ah, uh, yes, who's obviously probably like four, will grow up so to be a model. So <laughs> probably will be a
1: model, yeah. So yeah, he had a child with Stormy Brie, who, as I said, was a former Miss Teen USA, named Gravity. Gravity no. Blue again. They like the yes, name. it's like Gravity, like literally spelled exactly as you would imagine. But Lucky was only 18 when he got together with Stormy Brie, and she was 26. And so when they had their first child, their only child, Gravity Blue, he was 19 and she was 27. Like, that is a bit odd. But then he, I mean, to be fair, then they broke up. Then he married Nara Smith Hellman previously, you know, a year or so later. Also interesting, because obviously Mormons are meant to be no sex before marriage, whereas Mm. they were clearly pregnant. I mean, he clearly didn't believe in that anyway, because had a child out of wedlock previously. But then they got married in the February, and then they had a child by the October. So it seems a bit of one of those types of weddings. God, it's so
0: interesting. I do find this whole, like, ethical grey area really fascinating and difficult it's really difficult also i think is what these many films show or stories that we've heard you simply cannot tell in real time because it all depends on how the trauma unfolds later on like getting married at 19 it's not until you're 35 and you've got three kids that you realize you didn't want to get married at 19 and you were pressured into it
1: although so nara smith does acknowledge like people always commenting and saying oh you should be out living your life da 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 people are you know, vocal about it in the comments. And she's done videos where she's like, I like being a mom in my twenties. I know people say I'm missing out, but I don't think I am. This is the life I want. And it's very traditional. Like all her videos show this kind of perfect home life. Mm. However, I will say on the flip side, what I've really enjoyed about it is yes, she's traditional in the way of like cooking meals for her husband, but I actually think they have quite a modern setup where they 50-50s childcare split. That's good. And I really like that she shows that. So she's even said they, she, like one of them has the kids in the morning, one of them has them in the afternoon and the other person does their work in that time. Uh, so they have a completely even work life balance, which is obviously makes her not a trad wife. Like yeah. she has a substack, She's actually really good cook. She does lots of recipes. That's why she's doing the yeah. whole what I make in a day or what I eat in a day. She's clearly got shit going for herself. Do you know what I mean? She's a working woman. She's not just a wife.
0: I mean, it's just impossible to I always think of these things, like, who are we to judge? You simply cannot judge judge anyone's life. What some
1: commentators do take issue with, again, is that she would convert to Mormonism as a mixed-race woman because people are like the the Mormon church has, like, such a long history of racism. Surely that, perhaps, is a sign that she's being brainwashed. Again, I'm saying this as... (laughs) In air quotes, yes. Yes yeah and on her videos you know in tiktok where they have like the search bar that comes up underneath so you can always see what people are looking at yeah. in relevance to that person it's always like nara smith groomed nara smith mormon
0: church you know there's definitely a massive internet narrative around it all god i mean it's always more interesting to think there's a conspiracy theory isn't it i mean that's You're right. always great that's just more interesting for everyone anyway quite enough well that. talking about uh being a journalist and ethical conundrums of journalism oh, go on. So I've been, when I was on holiday, I was reading The Journalist and the Murderer. Yeah, I have never heard of this. Have you not? Like, have I been living under a rock? Is it meant to be up there with like, eat shoots and leaves? That kind of a bit. I've book. never
1: heard of eat shoots and leaves. Have you not? Oh, it's like the, one of the classics, it's like a book about grammar and it's like. A oh,
0: kind of... oh, okay. I'm surprised you haven't. I, I remember
1: haven't. people reading it at GQ when I joined. Oh, really? Yeah.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. So The, the Journalist and the Murderer is seen as one of the seminal nonfiction books of the 20th and 20th century. Um, Gosh. And Janet looked quite
1: old school, I've got to say. Yes.
0: So Janet Malcolm was. Guys, just FYI, I'm looking at the cover. It literally does look like you probably have <laughs> had this book since the 80s. Yes. <laughs> it's outlived you.
1: Do you want to Very say something though. so
0: embarrassing? Oh, firstly, Cather's your bookmark that you got me from oh, Mexico. Oh, But the beak fell off. I'm trying to get my dad's to oh, No, glue i have right? to get no. you another one. No, it was, I love it so That's much. It's so sad. The beak fell off. I know. katha has got me a lovely bookmark from Mexico. So Janet Malcolm was a big journalist in the. 90s, 80s, uh, 70s, she wrote for the New Yorker a lot. And this book is basically really interesting because it completely, it created a kind of national conversation about the ethics of journalism. So in 1989, Janet Malcolm wrote a two-parter in the New Yorker about this man, Jeffrey McDonald, who had murdered his pregnant wife and two daughters and a journalist, Joe McGuinness, who had interviewed him and written a book about him called Fatal Vision. I don't know why, but it's giving the staircase. Yes. Basically what happened is that uh, Jeffrey McDonald, the murderer, has always said he's innocent. Uh-huh. He has never pleaded guilty. He's still incarcerated now. And he has always said that foreign judas came into his home and attacked him and his pregnant wife and kids and that's how they were killed. Mm. He granted an... Sure. I- yeah. <laughs> One of those. Yeah, of course. But you somehow oh, didn't sustain miraculously, any injury. Oh, your entire family were murdered, but you were fine. Cool. Exactly. So, But he invited Joe McGuinness, who was quite a well-known journalist at the time, to interview him and then specifically to essentially shadow his defense team on his journey to try and get acquitted. Interesting. But what was very ethically dubious was that Joe McGuinness then decided to write a book about Jeffrey MacDonald with his total cooperation to the point that actually... Jeffrey McDonald would earn a percentage of the revenue from the book. So they were kind of writing it so together. So it's almost like a ghost written autobiography. Yeah, so basically from McDonald's side, he thought that this journalist was gonna sit with his defense team throughout the trial and essentially write a book that exonerates him. Mm. But McGuinness, the journalist, was very much secretly thinking that McDonald was guilty. Oh. So the whole... Oh, okay. I wasn't expecting it to go that way. So what is really mental is that they spent years together. They became friends. Uh, McGuinness would stay in his house when he was visiting him in prison. He would write letters to him for three years. He would call him his friend. He was like, he would write to him saying, I can't wait till you get out. Like, this is not what you deserve. The public need to know the truth. And then Fatal Vision was written. And... Jeffrey McDonald, did an, the murderer, did an interview with CBS 60 Minutes and the, the presenter read aloud some of Joe McGuinness's book. And it was only at that point that McDonald realized that McGuinness had essentially stitched him up <gasps> because every single thing that the presenter was quoting was suggesting that McDonald was guilty AF. Oh my God. So then McDonald sued McGuinness for breach of contract because they'd yeah. agreed to write this book together. And then Janet Malcolm wrote all about the (laughs) ethics of this and it created this massive talking point of like, is it acceptable as a journalist to essentially hoodwink your subject for the purpose of a fantastic piece of journalism? And I suppose
1: a story that in their mind is closer to the truth anyway. So therefore they're doing the service to the readers of getting to the actual truth.
0: Exactly. And also you kind of oh, have to think if, is, it's really if, tricky if McDonald is guilty and has murdered his then
1: like, why know. hell should he have a journalist cover it all up for him anyway? Exactly. That's, that would be even more problematic. God, but,
0: that is a really. But real what was way. really weird, though, and I think what I do have an issue with, is, for instance, um, in all these letters that McGuinness wrote MacDonald, which, again, rookie error, because when MacDonald sued him, all these letters obviously had to be read out in court and showed very much how duplicitous McGuinness was being and kind of basically saying, yes, this book is going to exonerate you. I'm on your side, but actually secretly I'm writing
1: and... yeah i feel like you can't do that yeah and, and regardless of the crime that that feels very wrong doesn't it it does and even though that man who killed his entire family blatantly as a psychopath it does and clear and also interesting that he would even kind of employ a journalist like it feels like all the classic tactics of those psychos that do actually commit the crimes doesn't yes. it to be Complete that sort narcissism. of uh, bold about trying to exonerate yes, themselves. They want
0: to be written about. They want, like, as yeah. I said,
1: The Staircase. That's yes. what it's reminding me of. So guys, if you don't know, The Staircase is a Netflix drama that was then made into a film. I cannot remember the name of the murderer, but the name of the woman that was murdered was Kathleen. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I always remember that. Sorry, that's a very unhelpful, <laughs> very unhelpful. I've spoken like a true narcissist. <laughs> yeah. So guys, if you just go and look at the show with the Kathleen in it, ha! you'll know. Colin Firth plays him and yes. Sophie Turner's in it as well. In the HBO remake. Yeah. But that, he like, he's like, he's so involved, the murderer, oh, the apparent murderer, in what's gone on with his wife. I don't know, it's just it's giving fishy and suspicious, and I don't think that that man should have even necessarily had a journalist on call that could basically exonerate him with his book. However, I also don't think that said journalist can manipulate him in that way.
0: Exactly. And what was, like, there are loads of facts that suggest that McGuinness, the journalist, was being really treacherous for instance he was writing to his editor uh the book editor discussing the technical issue of not spoiling his works punch and effect by making macdonald appear too loathsome too soon that's quotes so he was like very much like structuring it so that you think he's innocent you think he's innocent you think he's innocent and no actually oh. this is why i think he's guilty so he was kind of uh, tweaking the aesthetics of the crime yes, for his own, he's making it literature. into a, narr- a narrative story, yes. not a fact factual recounting. Exactly. So Janet Malcolm opens her book. It's one of the most famous lines in journalism, as I found out when I was. Well, actually, that's why I started reading it. Because I was recommended it by our boss at GQ. He said I had to read it. Oh, are you? Yeah. God, it's only taken five years <laughs> yeah, to actually get a copy. Well, I bought it years ago and then I never read it because it looked so fucking shit. I mean, I feel
1: like it's like super relevant now with all true it crime stuff. Is. Like, my God, this feels extremely... I think you would love it. I'm going to let you hate this you. word.
0: It, yes, it does. <laughs> so it opens with... Every journalist who is not too stupid or too full of himself to notice what is going on knows what he does is morally indefensible. Also, Ooh. very interesting that a female journalist is writing with the universal he, he him. Very interesting. But, um,. So that's essentially the conversation that got kickstarted by this whole book. Loads of people hated it. They thought that Janet was essentially making all journalists feel like these terrible, ethically compromised people. When they like they think of themselves as truth seekers. Exactly. And Nora Ephron defended her, and loads of. And what was so interesting about the trial as well? So when Jeffrey MacDonald sued Joe, Joe McNinnis for stitching him up with the book, loads of like big name authors were called in on Joe McGuinness' side to essentially explain why this was like part and part, parcel of journalism. Like you always betray a subject. Oh. Like, so it became this like quite like huge It's a thing. huge ethical conversation yeah. that doesn't really have
1: a kind of right or wrong objective answer, does it? It's, it's, almost all a, yeah, it's all opinion.
0: Yeah, it's a personal choice. Yeah. I didn't
1: catch that, Oh, like, could you try again? <laughs> oh, hello Siri. Sorry about that. How do I
0: get off? Yeah, and I was trying to think, if we ever done anything similar? I've accidentally put things into a piece that then the person the subject would rather I wouldn't have. But again then you're servicing the per- you're servicing celebrity not the reader and I've always found that a very difficult dynamic to be honest in my own journalism how
1: much I want the piece to accurately reflect The totality of someone, which might not be the nicest things Mm. included, versus I want the person to love it. Like I always hated the idea that someone would read my piece and hate it like Mm. when it was about them. Because it is a very vulnerable thing to spend time with someone and then have your entire life story written up on a page by someone that actually doesn't really know you at all. So I have real kind of empathy for talent, as it were, being in that scenario, because it must be so strange. And the kind of thing that I've noticed is how tone doesn't carry. So someone can say something in one way, but when it's written down on the page, it comes across as completely different to how it sounded when they said it. And so I've had to learn to be more careful with things like that, because a quote that can sound funny and off the cuff in person can look really odd. On the in the written words.
0: Also, another thing that was really interesting about this case is that because Jeffrey MacDonald is quite a boring, he's like quite a boring murderer. Like he doesn't, there's nothing to suggest why he would do this. There was no clues as to why he would kill his family. He seems like a regular guy. And McGuinness in his book, therefore tries to like properly psychotherapize him and draws on all these like psychotherapist texts and like essentially tries to- a lot of conjecture. A lot of conjecture tries to diagnose him with like narcissism, pathological narcissism and all these things. And Janet Malcolm's point is actually a thing that I think is so relevant to journalism today is that like sometimes as a journalist you're given a really boring interviewee (laughs) and there's not really much you can do journalists will try and make them interesting but at what point did they just completely diverge from the reality also it's hard because what's interesting is slightly subjective as we
1: found as young journalists at a particular period i.e when the American presidential election between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump Mm. was going on. And all anyone wanted in terms of editors was a Donald Trump quote. But actually, for the reader, that's not that interesting. I found that a really weird one at the time. If you could get a quote about Donald Trump or Gary... Jeremy, if you could get a quote about Donald Trump or Jeremy Corbyn, that was like a huge tick from the editor. Yeah. But actually, as a reader, even personally, I just think it's super boring to hear every fucking celebrity ever have some banal opinion on these two politicians that they don't really care about anyway. Like, breaking news Trump is shit yeah it's not exactly it was always the same spin on the same thing you know it wasn't like anyone was being like I'm actually a huge Donald Trump fan they weren't it was always negative yeah and even so similar with Corbyn he would even be he would either be a really negative Corbyn headline or it would be like I support Corbyn because I'm for like the left, liberal arts like it was a very obvious quite confining narrative
0: I always find that that what news journalists or editors feel as a news line actually isn't necessarily always very interesting to the general public exactly and it really does like jar jar with the piece but I think there is a massive issue that I've had as a as a journalists when you've done the interview and you're like fuck this person just hasn't been interesting and he's been interesting or she's been interesting in other interviews but for some reason they've not been interesting with me or maybe they're just never interesting what how do you make them interesting without actually completely betraying who they are as a person and it's your job to do that like you said you, yeah. ultimately your responsibility is to the reader and so yes. how do you
1: convey something that they actually want to read
0: exactly <laughs> like that's
1: your job at the end of the day not to like flatter someone else's ego
0: exactly And if you are trying to service the reader or your own idea of what your writing could be, then you might be making up a kind of myth of that person that she has nothing to do with the reality of that person. God, it's so hard, but very, very
1: like of the moment, I think. I kind of want to read that. What's the episode of Black Mirror that's about this really? That it's about the, is it Locke something?
0: Oh, Locke Henry. Yes. I also just think there's something, I would never enter a deal where if I was writing about a subject that they would earn a cut of the book. Because then you're always going to feel indebted. No, that is very dodgy. And to finish, so Jeffrey MacDonald sued him. There was a hung jury, so they couldn't agree. So it ended in mistrial. And then Joe McGinnis settled out of court. So he paid Jeffrey MacDonald, the murderer, big lump sum of 325000 I think. I think it's gone into very like a trust for his, like, old. Fount- like i guess some relatives rather than himself because he he's in a life sentence but interesting very interesting but it also started a big conversation about like oh my god a journalist no longer safe anymore if you can get sued by the person that you're writing about well yeah but i think again not safe if you manipulate the scenario in that way that yes. is slightly different you're not being an objective reporter yes and don't like leave, you have don't leave a tra- trail of evidence in letters yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so covers well, on to your second recommendation Okay, so I actually
1: have two articles by the French but London-based journalist Camille
0: Yes,
1: for everyone this week. I'm sure lots of people have already seen them. She published two articles across late December about her struggles with infertility and IVF. Mm. She published one article in Vogue and one in the Sunday Times style. I'm actually going to focus more today on the Vogue article because, and some listeners who have already been in touch will know this, we really want to do (gasps) a special, don't we, on kind of having children, fertility, infertility, why so many people of our age like want kids, don't want kids, are putting off kids. I'm sure lots of our listeners understand the complexity that comes with these massive life decisions either way. We are both very conflicted. There's just so much like yeah yeah, in different ways aren't we like I've always always really wanted kids and now that I'm actually at that age of like I really should be getting on with it and I'm in a very long lasting relationship i'm getting married this year all the rest of it and i'm suddenly like "Mm, actually no
0: i don't know it's just so interesting yeah because i would have actually thought you'd be one of the first one of my friends to have a baby
1: and i think so many people are putting it off again we'll get into this more when we do our special i don't know if it's the pandemic skip which has been covered by a lot Mm. of publications in the last month so the pandemic skip if you don't know guys is basically this idea that we're all essentially like immature or two years behind because the pandemic froze us all in time and especially for women when we actually have a biological clock it's like fucked with our perception of age, time, where we're at where we should be and that's made it even more scary for women because there's even more pressure so Camille's piece in Vogue is titled we need to be having more honest conversations about fertility and not just with our girlfriends agreed it is such a vulnerable piece and very very pertinent that's why I wanted to bring it up because Mm. I think whether or not you have children or you don't whether you want them or you don't it was just incredibly indicative of this difficult scenario that women find themselves in with the big fertility convo yeah I will let you guys all go away and read it. But essentially, Camille runs through her experiences with IVF, having started it in July 2022 at 33. She'd spent her 20s looking for Mr. Wright, as she Mm. calls him. She found her person, her husband, Francois Lapin. They had like this very, very glamorous wedding a couple of years ago that was in Paris. She wore Miu Miu to the registry office. Uh. She wore this... Uh, sheer harris reed lace gown to the reception you probably saw it it was like a naked dress yes, everyone yes. was like wow very trendy. she was at dolly
0: alderson's book launch I she think. is like
1: the height of chicness mm. once she gave me a compliment on my outfit and i honestly what did died. she say she what actually was complimented my dad. i was wearing my gucci bags. So of course she would compliment that. where were you at minute of the year she was there and she was like oh, your bag fabulous i have that i love it and i was like yes your green one my green gucci Jackie, my most prized possession literally of all time ever. i
0: saw a very nice picture of you on instagram wearing that the other day
1: it's my prized possession i'm not even lying it's probably literally my most kind of like valued expensive and the pets have never
0: tried to eat it oh god
1: no they're they're well just, away but anyway i just think the way that she captures the heartache of infertility is a very realistic based on conversations i've had with friends who might be going through ivf or similar at the moment so she i'll read you out one little paragraph because i think it's just such a good metaphor she says Over the last 18 months, we've changed clinics twice. My advice, always get a second or third opinion. Unsuccessfully tried three rounds of egg collection and reorganized our lives around the do's and don'ts of the IVF journey. I hate this phrase because, as it turns out, IVF is not so much a journey. Instead, it's more like being stuck in the worst traffic jam of all time where everyone around you is honking from all sides to keep moving, but you remain firmly at a standstill. I think that definitely, like, captures the, like, frustration mm. and the annoyance. But I, what I will say about her piece, this isn't at all to say I disagree with it. As I said, I really want everyone to go away and read it if you don't find that kind of thing triggering, if you're comfortable with reading about... Of infertility and people's kind of reproductive journeys but she talks about this very important need for these conversations to be had more widely i totally agree with that she quotes the british writer Nell frizzell whose book the panic years we've both read who says we have placed the burden of whether or not to try for a baby almost entirely at a woman's feet we shield men from the reality of fertility family and female desire because we have been conditioned to consider them uninteresting
0: and unattractive Mm. like i definitely agree with that do you like Yes, I think men completely freak out if you try and talk to them about fertility. Because it's, I guess,
1: it is in a very weird way a biological conversation. But then again, I mean, I've had lots of uh, conversations with my friends, like male friends that are in same-sex couples, whether they want kids. Like, that's a Mm. conversation I would totally have with them as much as I would female friends. But I guess you're having it in a way that you already know that it's like um, a very expensive often as Camille raises purposeful like labored process rather than like an accident put it again putting that in air quotes because i know it's a very frustrating thing for people to hear
0: yes i think it would really really it would be great if i could talk to more male friends about having children i think it'd be great it would be interesting yeah i would just love to know their opinion it's really hard though isn't it because then there's also the level of like
1: when it comes to child birthing and so on and again i'm kind of talking in a heteronormative male female dynamic here. They, the woman is gonna do most like the literal labour the know? emotional and so the physical like, labour yeah it is the woman that has to do a lot of that so maybe perhaps that's why we consider it a woman's problem because it's almost like a woman's burden I also I feel know. like
0: there's not really to be fair contradicting what I just said I don't know how much I would gain from a conversation with a man who literally knows nothing about or hasn't yes. really thought about what it's like to give birth but sorry I was gonna say there's a really funny SNL skit with Adam Driver who I love who plays uh, a man in a gay couple who basically is telling all their friends that they're trying for a baby and all their like heterosexual friends are like, what do you mean you're trying? Do you mean you're adopting? And they're like, no, we're just gonna we're just gonna try and they're like, do you mean you're gonna have a surrogate? surrogate? No, just the old fashioned, we're just gonna have sex (laughs) and try. And they have this hilarious, like full on conversation about how they're like gonna just have sex and try and have a baby as two men. And all the comments, it's obviously a parody and it's a skit, but all the comments underneath were like a lot of them were from gay men being like, it is, even though it's obviously a joke, it is emotional, the fact that you can't have that experience. Yeah, you have
1: to, like we said, you'll never have, and this is one thing
0: Camille touches on,
1: Again, I keep saying air quotes today, but you're never going to have a child the fun way. Yeah, You know, it's this like, it's never going to just be an accident where you go with the flow. Like it's going to be a very considered, expensive, emotionally draining, long process. One point I did want to make though, and it's not to say that I disagree with Camille because I don't, but she talks about how we're all like less interested in having fertility conversations out loud. And I have to say that's not my personal experience just because it's not that all my friends are talking about it constantly. I mean, they are to a degree and you know, rarely a week goes by where you don't hear about someone having a miscarriage mm, or yeah, similar. But I've actually felt in the last few years and I've spoken to you about this. I don't know if I've spoken about it on air. I've had like extreme fertility anxiety yes, because I felt like I'm surrounded by stories of women struggling. I feel like you hear way many stories from people that are, having a very hard time trying to have kids than people that have them by accident. Like, I know that that's the narrative. Once you start trying, oh, just have a bottle of wine, just have fun, see what happens. But actually, I mean, I think it's because I'm a huge fan of people like Elizabeth Day. I've been reading her work for years. Like, I actually found Magpie so triggering. I actually really didn't enjoy it for that reason.
0: Yes.
1: Made me really scared and it makes me really worried. Makes me really fearful.
0: Well, I think there's this sense it's kind of weird that you can't find out from like a certain age i guess I suppose you can right you can do a fertility test yeah
1: yeah there's loads of testing like that fertility health which we oh, talked yes, of about course. but then why don't we do it i guess we don't want to know because we're all in denial we yeah don't we want don't, to know. and also these scientific tools are like relatively new we actually weren't able to just to do it test our fertility at home for a small amount of money until like i guess the last five years
0: <sighs> it's really difficult cause i think Historically, people see it as such a if if you if you're not fertile you you don't feel like a proper woman, whereas obviously now in these days so many generations of young women don't even see children as integral to their experience as women so there's been yeah, a which huge, is shift yeah so oh, I don't know I've never had worry about fertility, but that's because I don't think I've ever really cons- thought about children super desperate to have kids also I know this is ridiculous and has nothing to do with it but I've always had incredibly regular periods
1: yeah but this is one of the big myths and Camille touches on this you
0: think if you've had
1: regular periods oh everything's fine where she touches on her piece like it could well be to do with something that
0: happened in like puberty when your eggs a lot of your eggs get uh, reabsorbed into your body or if you have an eating disorder So lots of women who have had anorexia then become infertile but I think that's a difficult conversation
1: because I think then you're putting personal blame and that's where a lot of the shame and all of that comes from and actually a lot of the time infertility is unexplained and there isn't yes. anything you could have done and there isn't like a physical reason
0: interesting yes i think that's true and yeah. obviously also having anorexia doesn't mean it's your fault but i think that just does mess no, you no, but as in, yeah, sorry
1: i mean like there's nothing in life there's nothing lifestyle related that you could have done a lot of people it's just biological right. so that's yes. what i mean yeah, yeah so that's yeah. what camille touches on she wonders whether maybe her eggs were just reabsorbed at a higher rate when she was a teenager mm. so they'll never know
0: but they know that between the two of them they have like a zero chance of naturally conceiving a child i also bet that in lots of relationships it's all a part that the man will not even get checked for his sperm count oh yeah well this is what's super frustrating
1: yeah. because actually and this is i suppose why conversations around fertility need to be had with men as camille is quite rightly saying i saw something the other day i saw like a video from a doctor that was saying how half of infertility in IVF clinics is actually for men. I've seen that. Yeah. And so it's all the and the misperception. Tap, in the tap water. Yeah. Infertility, infertility among men is a huge, huge, huge issue. And huge. yeah, it's always put at women's doors. Like it's our problem. And it's women that have to change their lifestyles and they have yeah. to stop drinking and they have to do this and they have to do that if they want to be on this IVF journey.
0: I also think that I even noticed it when I was younger and like talking about STI checks or whatever, there's just such a shame around so many men in terms of like getting checked for anything. I think a lot of men, I bet there would be yeah. graphs to show that men go to the doctor like half as oh no that's true that's a fact like that's why more
1: men die of cancer and stuff as well because they leave things till they're too late like men don't like to go and like face up to problems anything so they won't get
0: they won't that's very general exactly but they will a lot of men will not want to go and get checked for STIs. so women will bear the brunt of getting doing the the, the uh, the checking yeah or they'll lie and say they have and they haven't similarly with they they just don't want to know if they're infertile So actually, I can see, yes, that it would be incredibly positive if people were just generally in control of their reproductive health. Yes, and if you could talk to your guy friends about fertility, it would encourage them to maybe talk to their partners.
1: And there are even things I know, like for men and women, like random lifestyle things. Again, and this kind of contradicts what I just said, in that I don't want anyone to ever think that they could make small changes in their lifestyle, and then suddenly they'd be able to, like, have loads of kids or whatever, because that's just not what I'm saying. But obviously, there are lifestyle factors that come into play. Like, I heard something the other day with an expert who was talking about vapes vapes
0: impact right. your fertility as a man that does not surprise me really interesting though right that is really interesting i mean i'm incredibly really scared about vapes for the younger generation i think there's something dodgy going on with vapes in there because like, at first i was like god what a great idea and it's all going to be healing and actually i even
1: find now i mean obviously i don't smoke but i do have puffs on a vape sometimes like out like what if i've been having a drink i'll be like oh we'll go on have a bit of that have one of my friends vapes and i've noticed every time i do that i literally my throat and chest you're like hideous Absolutely. the next day if I've had yeah. a vape
0: at a festival I'm like oh. why just, did I do I'm, this it's almost like I'm smoking 100 cigarettes when I would have maybe just smoked 5
1: yeah you have way more and it's, it's like way higher in nicotine and everything isn't yeah. it yeah and they look apparently you know it's a big issue again any listeners that know about this do let us know I obviously have a 17-year-old sister and her Mm. mum was telling me about this. They market them specifically to girls. So they know that teenage girls smoke more than teenage
0: boys. And so vapes, that's why they often, like, you know, Lost Marys and stuff. They're like, yeah, and
1: bright pink and
0: pale blue Mm. and lovely pastel pop colours. So as much as I hate Rishi Sunak, one of the only things that I agree with what he said is that he's going to really crack down on disposable vapes. Yeah, I do think that's good because they're like an environmental issue as well. They're a health issue, they're an environmental issue. But it also means that people that would never have thought of even smoking at 16 are just buying vapes because they look fun and silly and cute, cute and everyone's doing them. I mean, I, yeah. if, if I was growing up now, I would have a vape and then I'd probably be addicted to smoke to nicotine. Oh, yeah. Well, why wouldn't you? Because yeah. I know that my stepmum's
1: found like, endless vapes hidden in my sister's room all around. But then it's I, easier to hide them than cigarettes as well because you can have a couple of puffs and your parents aren't going to know. Whereas yeah, if you're smoking a cigarette in your bedroom at 16. And it doesn't stink out your clothes. Yeah. yeah.
0: But then again, at 16, I was smoking... Well, at least five to 10 As everyone day. knows
1: about your criminal activity in Waterloo Station. Hey, yeah. Eagle eyed, eagle eared listeners that have been but
0: keeping Eaglied, up to because date. the reason why I smoked so much was because I moved schools halfway through year 10, which is a horrible thing to do to a child. That is a very
1: difficult age. Yeah. gosh, you poor thing. And
0: so I joining the smoking area at break time was like the way to make friends. And also, I was one of the few people whose fake ID worked, so I would do that. I would you buy could be like everyone's. you cool Siggy's girl. You no, know, it was really annoying because they wouldn't pay me back. <gasps> Oh my god. So, so you're like, like some of them buying the entire <laughs> school's yes. supply of cigarettes. So the most intimidating girls at school would be like oh get me a 10 pack of Camel Blues whatever and I'd go and buy them and then I'd never see the money. Oh, one thing I have to say about smoking that I found is a fun fact. If you listened
1: to our last episode you will know that Elle's had gone to see Saltburn. I had not yes. seen it. I did watch it over Christmas on Amazon Prime. One of our lovely listeners pointed that out to me. I had no idea it was available there so that was great but a point that Emerald Fennell meant that I, uh, a point that Emerald Fennell, the director made that I really liked is one of the reasons she chose to set it in 2007 was because that was the last year you could smoke inside
0: oh, so they like
1: specifically wanted that nostalgia
0: because you know
1: how everyone's smoking in the pubs yeah. and I hadn't picked up on that watching it but then seeing her
0: breakdown I was like oh that's quite clever and I totally get why she did that because it adds to the nostalgia feel so you were saying, or fair that uh, you didn't like Saltburn, but you read a lot about it afterwards, which made it feel like it was a better film in your head. So I did, and I didn't like it. Like yeah. I enjoyed watching it,
1: and I loved the beauty and the nostalgia, and all those points that you touched on previously. Amazing acting. I think it was an incredible cast. I loved, 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 loved Ros- Rosamund Pike, mm. which was so, so brilliant. But, yes, I only could really actually see the film's brilliance in hindsight looking at interviews with Emerald Fennell and breakdowns of specific references, which actually, as you made the point to me off-air, if the references are so high flouting that you don't pick up on them when you're actually watching it, then does that necessarily make it clever? No, yes. Yes. because
0: You can't retrospectively think a film was good just because...
1: So when I was watching it, I wasn't like, oh, Felix is wearing wings. He therefore is Icarus, the boy Mm. who flew too close to the sun. But that was, in fact, what they were going for. Oliver being the Minotaur. Also, you know, in the music that sounds like a kind of um, hymn, or it sounds like, I think it was literally based on His Majesty's, I'm going to say this wrong, you know, you know, like, ha, 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 ha. that kind of music that's yes. in it. Apparently, if you listen closely, they're singing Oliver Quick because it's like about the new king oh,
0: so like tiny little in
1: depth and there's a specific like painting in the house
0: that's a reference to a certain tapestry that sounds to me like the director look, stop thinking about all these tiny little things and make the film better just like <laughs> the actual film itself in real time and I'm just like more entertaining I'm sorry but
1: I'm obsessed we said this off here but like literally off here off, off air obsessed with Jacob Lordy like that one obsessed. scene is so stuck in my head like dead rally dead rally yeah, daddy's dead. old
0: teddy dead rally and that has literally <laughs> been going round in my head for like a week so I really want I see him as Elvis and Priscilla. She's again, like another age gap situation. Yes. She was and 14. And listener that
1: would like, when we ask people about what they want us to talk about, they want us to talk about Priscilla. It's coming out on Monday. Literally says, yes, that is an age gap that, in hindsight, she says was deeply coercive. Yes. And Priscilla being Elvis's wife by and the Elvis guys Estates who was 14. And
0: is very upset about the film, but Priscilla herself is very happy about it. Because it's
1: based on her autobiography, isn't yes. it? By Sophia Coppola. So that's going to be another film. As again, as I said to you off air, I think Saltburn is very much a film for the girls' gays and theys. Yes. More than the... Uh, the macho audience. The macho audience,
0: exactly. And I, I feel like perhaps Priscilla will be the same. I maybe. I think so. Also, I said, to the, you, I said this to you off her, but I do think Saltburn is a poor man's parasite. Yes. The idea of someone infiltrating Intellip- someone's home and taking possession of it. But that very, worked much better because they were idea. actually like on the poverty line. Actually in the home as well. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. So, guys, we hope you liked this... Hot cultural
1: debrief, a bit of a uh, smorgasbord of general chit chat and recommendations. Yes. As you all well know, it's been a slow period, but we will be back with some hard hitting cultural journalism. Slash hey, we've talked about paedophilia, murder, about, and uh, <laughs> rape.
0: So <laughs> a really joyful really episode to, to start your
1: ears. Yeah, your ears. I what is wrong with yeah, me? I can't speak. I you're think maybe we have we have finished our bottle sh- of champagne, <laughs> guys. I and we, we must we will now be off now. to the pub. Yeah.
0: Happy, love you new happy new year we happy actually
1: new say year that. we have so many exciting yeah. things in store for you guys this is going to be a big year we are excited we are brimming with ideas we're going to become famous we are can you yeah. just hire make it that happen please guys because that would be great <laughs> then we could uh, quit our j dub so yes yeah, that would be great. wonderful Thank you. <laughs> love advanced. you all so much DST great am um, at straight up pod did yeah. I already say that no, you I'm didn't. losing
0: the plot you haven't. <laughs> rate review subscribe send us a DM at straight up pod bye bye